It's time for episode 424 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's still 30 minutes regardless of daylight saving time. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal and dungeon buddy, it is Dan, the man. Morin, hello, Dan. Hi, Micah. You know, when we do it in my house, it's called Dan Light Saving Time. No, um, it's not. Yeah, it's true. It's no. It's I know I'm supposed to yes and, but no. <laughs> no, no, but. <laughs> so not close. For this one. Oh, dear. Well, uh, we have some awesome guests today. Joining me to my left is my co-host on iOS Today, as well as host of Automators right here on Relay FM, as well as just an all- around brilliant individual it is rosemary orchard welcome to the show rose hi micah hi dan thank you for having me it's uh it's fun to be here with the extra time pressure you know that, that always really brings out the best of me i think <laughs> <laughs> very concise opening statement uh to my left this week it is youtube sensation co-founder of nebula it's renee ritchie welcome back renee Thank you so much for having me. First, Dan, I am astounded that Micah would just Ted Lasso level know you at the beginning <laughs> of the show. But I do want to stress that I am conducting the show under the updated Verge's background policy. So everything all of you say is going to be on the record. It's everything we always say. It's recorded and maybe used against us later. Uh, well, let's kick things off as you all settle in with that pressure of things being used against you later. Uh, my question for you is this. Twitter Blue has launched in the US. It's been available in Canada and Australia for a little while. Uh, I'm curious, do any of the features of Twitter Blue, the subscription service, entice you? And if not, what could Twitter add to get you to pay that $2.99 a month? Rosemary? Well, I had to actually Google what Twitter Blue was as part of this because I didn't remember. Uh, I don't live in Canada um, or Australia. And so therefore, you know, Twitter Blue has not been available to me and apparently includes features such as undo tweet, um, which I have to say, um, on the one hand, sure, it sounds useful. On the other hand, there's a delete key. Mm-hmm. Um, slash button um, on all of these things. And so I feel like maybe that side of the features is not so great. And, th- and then they go on to things like ad-free articles, bookmark folders, etc. I just don't use Twitter enough. And I don't think I want to use Twitter enough to actually get the benefits that I would get from subscribing to Twitter Blue. I use third-party applications. If I want to read an article, I throw it in something like Pocket. Um, there's plenty of options out there. So for me, Twitter Blue is not going to get my money. Um, and maybe that's a shame for them, but I suspect that, you know, despite the fail whale, they've come this far. So we'll see what happens. Uh, look, if you ask me, $3 a month is a steal to just get an edit button. Wait, what? Sorry? No, it doesn't have an edit button? Well, I mean, $3 a month for getting ad-free timelines is a perfectly good deal. What? Sorry? There's no ad-free timeline? I don't know what they're doing here. Um, There's not enough in this to make it worthwhile for me. I do use Twitter a fair amount, but like Rosemary said, uh, if you use third-party apps, 
I feel like you've gotten a maybe not these specific benefits, but like you're already dealing with a better than normal situation. So I feel like I would rather pay my you know yearly subscription fee to Tweetbot than to pay three bucks a month for the the features that Twitter is offering here. I agree, the undo tweet thing, while handy, is not exactly a game changer. Um, nor do I feel like if there were an edit tweet button ex- solely for people paying Twitter that I would feel better about things. That would just feel really strange. Um, so uh, yeah, I know a lot of people talking about the link aggregation thing as being sort of one of the big things that comes from Twitter's purchase of Nuzzle. I can see the attraction in it, but Nuzzle for me, while I thought was cool, was never something I got the utmost usage out of. So for the moment, for me, Twitter Blue is kind of not really selling me on it. Renee, what about you? I think you stole my answer, Dan. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm semi-salty about that. The only thing I'd add to your excellent uh, rundown slash takedown is that it's it's not at all what I would have wanted for a paid Twitter service either. I pay for YouTube Premium. Love having no ads on that. An edit button, which this isn't, should just be table stakes at this point. I recognize mm-hmm. that Twitter is so old in terms of infrastructure that it'd be very difficult for them to add and they would have to do all sorts of accountability things so politicians didn't change a tweet, you know, a month later and pretend it never happened. But it reminds me of like BlackBerry when they could never conceive of a world where people would have more than one device. So never built any infrastructure for that world. And then you had to log in and log out of different, different, it just, it, it just seems like an entire mess and this doesn't solve any of it. But I am happy that people are so excited with, about the ability to change Twitter's icon. If nothing else, that seems to be the emoji, like the new emojis of this release and is converting way more people than I would otherwise have expected. So if, if you love the idea of a graphite blue retro, uh, you know, moody Twitter icon, maybe that's worth something. But this is giving me the Twitter blues. I feel like the guy from Blue's Clues, when he finally came back, except the opposite of that. Here's how I feel about the whole edit versus undo thing. I have absolutely no problem deleting a tweet that has a mistake in it if I need to. And this whole idea that like once a tweet is out there, then it's too late is I think a little goofy. And if, if people did take an extra second to look at their tweet one more time before they sent it, if they are bothered by the fact that it, you know, cause you see somebody post a tweet and then it has an error in it and then they respond and they say tweets, but editable or something like that. And it's like, well, you know, just like an article, you kind of just need to sort of give it a little run through first. If you're worried about making a typo or as Renee has pointed out, it's honestly a growth hacking thing. Uh, it seems like the, you get a lot more engagement on a tweet that has some sort of typo in it. So you could also just do that. Uh, so yes, you can all pay me $2.99 to implement a typo in your tweet in a way that increases the engagement of that instead of uh, Twitter Blue. So we'll talk about that after the show. Uh, Let us move on to our next topic, which comes from Rosemary. Well, I saw an article today which very much inspired my topic where Macworld, Jason Snell's precisely, said Apple's keyboards are suddenly very boring again, and that's just fine. And so I'm wondering, what is your keyboard situation currently? Is it musical? Is it not musical? Have you got a fancy custom keyboard? Is it exciting you? Uh, what do you like and what is the worst keyboard you have ever used? Um, I've used a variety over the years. I tried recently last year to to get into the whole mechanical keyboard game and I just couldn't do it. Like it brought me back to things I didn't like about keyboards back in the 80s and 90s where they were extremely heavy and clicky and chunky all the time. 
And if you ever try to type quietly while you're on a podcast, that is a terrible keyboard for that. So uh, I think, I guess my keyboard story is pretty bad. I would say the worst keyboard I ever used, I had this unfoldable, like it was a keyboard that was for travel. It folded up into two halves. It was sort of like slightly uh, ergonomic, you know, it's like curved. And it wasn't bad except for the fact that it was a Bluetooth keyboard that would occasionally just drop keystrokes, which is bad. (laughs) So it's like if you want one thing from a keyboard, it's that it correctly records every single thing that you type. And so I feel like anything that doesn't do that is an automatic failure. Renee? Yeah, I'm very much the same. But, you know, I don't I don't consider it bored. I just there are certain things in my life that I want to expend time and energy uh, towards and there are other things that I just consider infrastructure that I don't want to distract me. I just want it to be there. You know, I don't want to work for my stuff. I want my stuff to work for me. I just need it to put text into the machine for me. And I was fine. You know, I hate people hate when I say this. I was fine with the butterfly keyboards. Didn't bother me. These keyboards don't. The new Magic keyboards are terrific. The old Scissor Switch keyboards are great. About the only things that ever did bother me were, were like the Trio and Crackberry Tiny Chiclet keys because they just they really inflamed inflamed my RSI having to squeeze so hard to type out anything of any length. So basically, just just give me something that goes up and down, and I am happy. My fingers and brain can remorph to any keyboard and often do. Um, one of my favorite keyboards was the keyboard built into the case for the iPad Pro. And it is an odd, squishy, nylon-y sort of keyboard. Um, I've got a Magic Keyboard in front of me. And behind that is my MacBook Pro, which is at the moment open. And during the day, I find myself switching between the MacBook Pro's keyboard that's built in and the keyboard that's right in front of me, the Magic Keyboard, uh, the wireless Bluetooth Magic Keyboard that's here too. I just don't really... It's like whatever input method is in front of me is the one that works. And I don't really have... um needs when it comes to a keyboard so long as it types. Uh, Rosemary, why don't you wrap up this topic for us? Well, my, my keyboard life is has always apparently been interesting. Uh, my mom messaged me the other day and said, do you have a spare keyboard I could have? Um, and I said, yes, what kind? And it was the point where I was listing the fifth <laughs> keyboard that, um, I could, I could offer to her that I realized that potentially there's a problem here. <laughs> uh, but my worst keyboard, it was one of the butterfly ones on a 15 inch MacBook Pro because the F key was dodgy and sometimes you would get no Fs. Sometimes you get one and frequently you get two or three, which was incredibly problematic when the problem started and there was an F in my password. So so that was really good fun. And I'm very glad that uh, the new M1s and other M1 Pro, M1 Max, um, M1 Ultra Wide Max, ziggity boo, um, <laughs> have now finally got rid of the butterfly and gone back to a sensible scissor. Because who doesn't love sensible scissors? Agreed. (laughs) All righty, folks, we are going to take a quick break because it's halftime. And I want to tell you about electric. Somewhere along the way, you have picked up onboarding and offboarding for new employees, picked up managing app licenses, company devices and networks, checking all of those cybersecurity boxes and fielding never ending IT support requests like, where's my password again? On top of the 10,000 other things you do every day, you've added the, quote, do the work of an entire IT team to your list. Thankfully, there is a solution, and it doesn't require cloning yourself or spending the next six months interviewing IT managers. You can try Electric. 
Electric is the IT management platform made for all of the many hat wearers out there who just need someone to handle it. With Electric, you get the visibility and control of an IT management platform with the practical help of more than 100 IT specialists. That's a whole team that's going to take on all of those extra IT tasks you've picked up. They can field IT support tasks directly from your team through your favorite corporate messaging app while giving you full visibility into every project. So you can focus on more strategic things, you know, like your actual job description. Unbury yourself from IT tasks. Head over to electric.ai slash clockwise and get started. And just for taking a qualified meeting with their team, they'll give you a pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones. That's right. Visit electric.ai slash clockwise and get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones today for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of this show. And now it's time for Dan's topic. All right. Well, I know there are many purveyors and uh, users of smart home tech here. And my question for you is about smart locks. Do you have a smart lock? Do you have any interest in a smart lock? What would convince you to get one or what keeps you from making the plunge? Renee? So I have a smart lock, but it is currently disabled. And that's just because... You know, people in our line of work change phones, change devices frequently. We get review devices, sometimes several review devices. We have to send those back. We get our personal devices. And not all of these products are well suited to an ever-changing device lineup. And it got to the point where it just locked and wouldn't open. And I had to get a locksmith in. Uh, and it was it was such a physically demanding lock that it almost broke everything trying to get it open. So now it's still sitting there because I have dreams of re-enabling it. I, I enjoy this sort of lifestyle of just walking up to my door, hearing the little purr of the motor turning and having it unlocked by the time my fingers reach the handle. But the overhead, the lack of maturity, I would say, uh, or maybe it's just because we have such bizarre uh, fringe you know, lives that we live, just did, didn't make it a reality for me yet. But I... I'm desperate for that Star Wars slash Star Trek age of automatic doors. I have a, a smart lock that I brought from my my former home, and it worked very well for me. I liked it uh, when my when I had family members come and visit. I was able to unlock the door for them so they could get in with no problem. Um, but I know that when I move uh, into a home again, my next step is going to be the level lock. Uh, uh, level lock is this very beautifully designed lock that doesn't look like a smart lock. And the reason that's important is because I have an August smart lock and I can remember uh, back in Missouri when I you know, had it installed on the door. It's this huge, chunky motor on the back of the door and everyone was intimidated by it, not knowing what it was. So when I had a delivery person come and deliver uh, my, you know, I like had updated my appliances at one point, they didn't know what to do to, to just close the door again. They, you know, when I had family members uh, who weren't quite sure what was going on, they weren't sure how to open and close it. It just with smart tech, I feel it's best if it 
mimics as close as possible the technology that many people are used to. It makes it more likely to be adopted by the folks in your home who may be less techy. But then also, it just makes it easier for you because you don't have to explain. You know, a, a person can go and go, oh, yeah, I know to take this and just turn it to the left to make the door lock or turn it to the right to make the door unlock. If it looks like some giant cylinder, they might go, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. And it gets a little intimidating and scary. So level lock is my next step for my smart home. Uh, Rosemary, what about you? Uh, I'm currently using uh, Yale locks, Yale smart locks specifically. Um, until recently in the UK, they didn't actually have HomeKit support. So I went the the full route of I'm going to get the Z-Wave sensor and put it in there. I'm going to get a Z-Wave USB stick and connect it to a Raspberry Pi running Home Assistant and share that back to HomeKit. And you know what? It works flawlessly. I am really surprised. It sounds like I've got a really complicated, janky setup where everything's duct taped together with a wish and a prayer and maybe a couple of feathers stuck in there because that kind of happened. But it works really, really well. And what I really like about the the Yale locks in particular is they look like normal locks. So as you said, Micah, that was a little bit of a concern for me. How are other people going to interact with this? Um, but the Connexus, you lift the handle and it just locks automatically. Um, and uh, the other one, the, the only trick to it is you need to cover the keypad before you can tap in uh, any of the numbers. But it's very easy to use and I'm really pleased with all of them. It's been really handy, uh, especially recently. I was sick a couple of weekends ago and my mom said, oh, I'll come and bring you um, some food. Oh, wait, I don't have a key. And I said, no, 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 you can just type in the code. Like, here's a code. Here you go. And she didn't need a key. It's convenient to have it, I find. And for me, they don't look too smart or too techy. So they do just blend in, uh, which is wonderful. You know, I was very anti the idea of smart locks for a little while. I just felt like maybe that was a, a bridge too far. But the uh, last week, I happened to see a deal on, uh, funny that you mentioned the level lock, Micah, but the level bolt, which is their other product, which is a fascinating idea, which is essentially you replace the internals of a existing deadbolt and with the level bolt, which has basically a motor and the actual bolt part itself. And so your existing deadbolt still exists on the outside. You can still use the key. You can still use the thumb turn if you got one of those on the inside, um, but you can control it and it's compatible with HomeKit. And so I set that all up and I actually think it's pretty good. I think the two biggest, well, here's the thing, the two biggest weaknesses. One, uh, and this cuts kind of back to what Renee was saying, like reliability is hard. The, the Bluetooth is not a good protocol for this. And eventually when these things switch more to stuff like ultra wideband, I think that will improve stuff or thread. Um, but, but Bluetooth, I think is often kind of janky in terms of just, uh, you know, reliability when it detects you entering a space, when it can communicate and HomeKit has definitely some problems with communication. The other thing is just the fundamental challenge sometimes of if you have, say, as I do, an older house, um, sometimes where the digital meets the analog, it kind of fails you a bit. So just because my door doesn't always have the best fit, if you press it all the way closed, sometimes uh, the lock won't shoot correctly. So I have to at some point move the plate in the door frame where the lock goes, um, which is just a, enough of a pain that I haven't done it yet. So I can use it, but I have to be careful about how I close the door. So that takes a little bit of some of the automatic nature out of it as well, which is frustrating. But that's not strictly their fault. That was a problem with the deadbolt that was in there already. It's just a matter of sort of dealing with the realities of houses that are not always constructed precisely, which where I live is pretty much all houses. <laughs> but thank you all for your thoughts on that topic. Let's go to our final topic, which comes from Renee. So Apple has just reintroduced communication safety in the latest iOS beta. And that was one of several controversial 
uh, new features that they announced a few months ago and then smartly got out of the way before a new iPhone uh, sale started again. This isn't the most controversial one. This is the uh, one that was, I would say, like secondary in terms of controversy. But it basically uses machine learning to determine if there's any nude or sexually explicit photos and messages. And then if a, a child device is enrolled uh, under a parent, they can set uh, a flag that says, warn a, warn the, the, the device about these photos. And previously, they could set another option that said, notify us about those images. And then it would also save a copy that couldn't be deleted. So the parent could go and check on it. And that raised all sorts of concerns about, you know, people with abusive parents or, in, you know, just uh, kids who may not be hetero or Anyways, a whole bunch of issues where the kid could be outed in a numerous different ways, uh, depending on what kind of community and what kind of family they lived in. So Apple has just reintroduced this, and now it still has the ability to warn. You'll get a message saying this could contain nudity. Do you want to see it? All in very kid-friendly, emoji-strewn text. And then if you click yes, do you really, really want to see it? It's not your fault. It could be harmful. Do you want some help resources? And then do you want to talk to your parents about it? And then if you say yes again, you'll be able to see the image. But at no time is any of that exfiltrated off your device. It's never sent to anybody else. So I was just wondering, does this satisfy any concerns that you have, all concerns that you have? And broadly, more broadly speaking, should Apple or any big tech company be part of the parental relationship? Like, uh, is Apple our parent uh, or any big tech company our parent? It satisfies some concerns I had with the original way that it was set up. This is this is a tough one, obviously, and, and uh, Clockwise is a 30-minute show, so I, I can't get into everything. But what I will say is we are only just now kind of getting to a place where the generation who is reaching parenthood age is more familiar with tech. And we're not even to the place where the generation who, in, in most cases, uh, the generation that is reaching parenthood age is at, like was fully ingrained in tech from whenever they were, you know, super young all the way up until now. And because of that, there's still a lot of learning that needs to take place that needs to be done and a lot of learning that is happening in, you know, in uh, real time surrounding the kind of choices that we make and the the permanence of the internet so to speak and because of that i think that it is good that there is uh, some level of of protection that exists that help well-meaning uh, parents or guardians to protect their kids and i'm glad that apple listened to the concerns about you know uh unintentionally outing a child who's in an unsafe household or any number of other concerns that were there. Uh, because the fact is, there will be children who make mistakes that they will at some point later wish that they hadn't made. And I think that if there's a little bit more protection in place to help them make the right choice, that is a good thing. So... Right now, I feel this is this is a good first step, and I hope that Apple will uh, continue to be open about the suggestions uh, that advocates make in relation to this technology. Rosemary, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts with this are, uh, I mean, 
fairly well summed up by Douglas Adams on the Wikipedia Idiot Proof page, which is, nothing is foolproof to a sufficiently talented fool, and if you make something, someone will just make a bigger idiot or a better idiot. And that's not to say that parents are idiots, but I think all of these things where people are trying to safeguard children, if the children really want to get at that content, they're going to find a way to do it anyway. Um, but I am incredibly glad that they are actually taking the parents out of this, um, because I think that is something which a lot of parents will say, oh yeah, my kid couldn't possibly do anything that, um, you know, that I would, I would disapprove of. And sometimes, uh, you know, it's not so much that they would disapprove of this, but maybe they're just not ready to hear it yet, or you're not ready to share it or something. Um, and also, you know, if there is potentially a problem involving one of those parents, uh, that parent being notified because in relationships uh where um you know there is an abuser that abuser often tends to be the the techier one who then uses the tech against the other people in the relationship um so it's likely that the abusive parent would be the one who would get the notification and dismiss it and say oh there's nothing here to be seen it's all fine um so i think you know taking the parent out of this is a good idea it's not apple's job to parent us but apple um as mike and i actually mentioned yesterday on ios today um helps parents um with this by you know building in a whole bunch of controls so i think you know having to get people to tap twice is probably you know as as good as it's going to get they could make it much more difficult um but equally you know the kids are going to get around it um to you know if they really want to see something so i think this probably strikes a good balance between uh, parenting us and letting us do our own thing and make our own mistakes. And hopefully uh, this will help uh, some of these uh, kids who might potentially have made those mistakes, which could later come back to haunt them. And and hopefully that will be less likely to happen. Yeah, uh, it's all about walking a line. And I think you cannot sort of abrogate your responsibility to providing these kinds of tools because there are cases in which they can be misused. However, you do, similarly, you owe the responsibility of trying to make potential misuse as unlikely as possible. And I think that is the move that Apple was trying to make here by removing the parental notification and saying, we realize this is the sort of area where that's most ripe for abuse within this system. And we're going to remove that, but trying to provide the tools that are still going to be useful for specifically cases in which we think somebody might try to uh, directly approach a child, right? This isn't about filtering content based on the internet or seeing images elsewhere. There are other tools that Apple provides that try and, and control for that with obviously their own shortcomings. But in a specific case where somebody might be targeting some, you know, a small child or a young child, and again, we should note this only applies to uh, accounts under the age of 13, um, then this is sort of just a way to potentially protect them so i think a lot of parents would you know appreciate at least the peace of mind even if they're not being notified at least knowing like well you know there's something trying to protect my kid from experiencing this kind of content in cases where it could be harmful it's not going to be a perfect system and there's no substitute for parents actually talking about this stuff with their kids which i would hope that at least you know when a parent enables this if it recommends to them like you know maybe sit down with your kid and talk to them about this and explain to them why you're enabling this feature transparency obviously is is a big part of this but you know as we've said uh, there are going to be still cases where people try to abuse this system uh, hopefully these changes make it less likely but no system is perfect renee why don't you wrap this up for us 
Yeah, I'm just like the, the biggest takeaway for me here is that I'm glad that, you know, we throw around the, fr- the phrase Apple listened. And that always means that they agreed with me in the end because there's somebody who's <laughs> upset they did the opposite thing. Uh, but I think in this case, they, they did take in a lot of feedback. And outside of Cupertino, because a lot of what Apple does is is built up internally, almost like in a little black box inside Cupertino. And we only get to see it when it's when it's announced. It's very academic there and it's very technologically focused. And it's very like this is the this is the pure scientific application of this. And the real world is just always so much messier. So I'm glad it wasn't so much that they listened, but that they understood what the problems were, what the concerns were. And this seems to address it without throwing the whole thing out. So I agree with all of, well, a large portion of what everybody said, and that is there's a balance here and Apple can provide tools without making those tools inherently cause new and different problems. So I think it's an important first step and I want to see where they go with the rest of this. All righty, folks, it is time for the bonus topic. All right. Other than the obvious answer of money, if you could have unlimited supply of one specific thing, what would it be? Rosemary? Does it need to be tangible? Like, do I have to be able to touch it or can it be um, be a a more airy thing? It can be nebulous. Yeah. Okay, I would like an elementary supply of time, please. That would be fabulous. Um, that that would allow me to do all the things that I get distracted doing when I'm supposed to be doing other things, and probably still not get everything done that needs to be done. But you know what? I'll be happier. Oh man, more time would just be more time for procrastinating to me. That would be the worst. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, but it would be so much fun. I mean, they're all going to be dangerous. And unlimited supply of anything, I think, is probably dangerous. But the first thing that came to my mind was I just take an unlimited supply of fr- fresh bread. It's fresh bread all the time. <laughs> nice. I like it. Would I that like go it. bad? Yes, it would go bad, but <laughs> Well, you could you could put a rule where you only it's only whenever you're finished with the current supply of fresh bread before you get it. It's a mostly new just I'm worried I'll eat too much bread, Micah. <laughs> <laughs> Renee, what about you? So I'm torn now because we can't we can't choose money and Rosemary already took time. So I would go with the classic power response because I could use power to get more money in time. But I think what I'd really just rather have is good internet finally, like unlimited supply, really, really good internet. Because that would save me both time and money. Uh all good answers. I think I'm gonna choose joy. An unlimited supply of joy. Aww. Originally, I was going to choose something more tangible, but uh, Rosemary took us in a different direction, and I appreciate it. So, yeah, um, I guess that's what my dogs are. They are an unlimited supply of joy. But uh, so I've, I've already got it. Yay. Uh, thank, thank you all for your answers on that bonus topic. All that's left is to thank our joyous guests for joining us today. Rosemary Orchard, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful fun, as always. And Renee Ritchie, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. It's always great to talk to you. And Micah will be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. <laughs>